Hello, Tom. Hello, Heron. So, I've got a wide variety of topics in front of me. And then, yes. as is my usual custom, I was wondering if you had any topics you wanted to talk about. Mm, apparently not. So, I don't actually have this as a topic, but I wanted to start by talking about the passing of Tom Vine. Oh, okay. Because I thought your response was exactly in line with my general feeling associated with, with someone passing away. Uh, and it's interesting, actually... What was that? I'm not quite sure what you're talking about. Well, you responded that basically Tom Vine's family should be... Well, someone said... Oh, okay, I remember, yeah. Someone said they were sorry, and I yes. said, got to tell his family that, you know. Yeah, right. Yeah, I, I remember that response. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, um, I hardly knew Tom, really. We had several really good conversations. I liked him. He liked me. Mm. We had good conversations. We had vague plans to do something in the future, uh, you know, with his filmmaking and stuff. Um, and so now that's not going to happen. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, I had some correspondence with him about a month before he passed. The conclusion which I shared with you, there wasn't really much more to it. Yeah. Other than just pointing him in the direction of Stone Ape and uh, yeah. these kind of things. But, uh, yeah. How is it that, how is it that he contacted, did he contact you? I, no, he seemed to be genuinely unaware of the stuff that we were doing with Stone Ape. I contacted him around the time that we were talking about potentially doing a Heron and Squish video documentary. Ah, uh, I see. If he okay. wanted to be involved with that. Ah, okay. I got it. And he did add me as a friend on Facebook, and then we kind of continued that correspondence periodically. I yeah. pinged him, actually, because at the time I had put together a YouTube video of just a segment of Stone Ape, I think and pointed him to it with the view that if he had five to ten minutes, he might be able to consume that particular piece of audio. But I really was off his radar. I mean, he yeah. he interacted with you, he did stuff with you, and that was, you know, that was his thing, basically. Yeah, yeah, he, yeah. well, yeah, he, yeah, we got, we met at a time when he just was ready to hear the stuff I was talking about, you know? Certainly, yeah. certainly. And you did a few follow-up conversations. I mean, he was someone who you'd spoke to over a period yeah. of about maybe three years, I think. Yeah, we had, uh, you know, I don't remember how many total we had. We had, I don't know, 10, 20, somewhere yeah. in there, you know, maybe. Maybe, you know, I just don't know. Yeah. But, but uh, I, you know, I, I had a, I liked Tom, you know. Every time we talked, I felt like it was a conversation that I enjoyed. Certainly. <laughs> so, yeah. Certainly. Yes. And you're now fully connected with his family by the looks of things. Well, no, I, they're friends on Facebook. Yes. I mean, if, if that's fully connected. Well, it's as connected as one might. As one yeah, might yeah. I, I've never things. talked to them voice. We've exchanged two or three messages. Hmm. Um, yeah, I don't see any, I mean, if, if the, yeah, I, I'm certainly open to becoming friends and, you know, intimates with uh, just about anybody. But, 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 you know, I, I don't, um, well, you know, I don't know what to say. Yeah. Fair enough. Fair yeah. enough. So I have a wide variety of topics, some that date back a, a week or two ago, and I'm not really sure how we should uh, throw into this. Oh, does it make any difference? Whatever we do is absolutely perfect. <laughs> well, it becomes perfection in the utterance. I, uh, yeah, I 
tried out early last week my wrapping associated with net neutrality on some uninitiated few. Mm -hmm. Just to get a sense, I'm always interested about how people respond to, (laughs) you know, these ideas in an abstract sense. And as it comes up in Facebook periodically, even now with my reduced Facebook group, I thought this might be a good opportunity to actually try out this idea of what I define net neutrality as being. Well, see, it's, let me let me add, add something. It's, it's really not about th- those words. Net neutrality are totally irrelevant. We're talking about how are we going to structure our communication and internet system so that it works optimally for all of us. Yes, yes, and. So anyway, uh, what was posted was the John Oliver piece that he did associated with net neutrality. And this was posted by a fellow who goes by the name of Ion Tom. I think his name is Tom Ricken or something like that. Uh, who I interviewed through a Biota podcast maybe a year and a half ago, maybe two years ago now. And uh, he's someone who I've maintained as a Facebook friend up until the past week or so. The final cut. The final cut. <laughs> well, not the final cut by any means, but he was well, cut okay, last yeah. week. Oh, he didn't but- even make the final. No. <laughs> Holy shit. So anyway, he posted this thing, associate, <laughs> and I, I responded actually saying, I don't think this is a meaningful issue. What's important here is, and I posted to the audio link, which is the reduced audio link that we sent, or I sent off to Sirius, and then also my Google Blocks page associated with what happened to me with No Blake, however many five years ago or what have you. He had a friend then who said, I don't understand how net neutrality, what net neutrality has to do with page ranks. And I explained to him once again that uh, if you create content, your primary means of getting content out to people is still through Google searches. That's the way people will discover your content in a, you know, relatively major fashion, aside from, you know, appearing I, on local news and advertising well, and things like there's that. There's Facebook and all, I mean, well, you can't, it, it, it's, yeah. it's, a, it's now, you're right. Are, people it, even look? On, so they wouldn't even look for it if they hadn't already heard about it. No, that's completely wrong, Karen. People really? frequently discover Nopalite through a variety of searches. Through okay, Google. all right, yeah, but in what? Oh, yeah, that's a good. You know what the number one search percentage? is, Karen? You know what the number one search is that gets people to Nopalite? Sex. Ape sex, yes. (laughs) Ape sex, of course. Yes, I forgot the ape part, yeah. Yes. (laughs) So, yes, we we get a wide variety of strange bestiality folk, um, and we mould them into the... I won't dwell too heavily on the number... those, Those people... Aren't they're just clogging up your site? Well, that's interesting. Well, yes, because it's all tubes, right? Now, the the phenomenon <laughs> seems to be that um, people who, so for example, Melek Kutash is an example that I use frequently. Melek Kutash is a Jordanian farmer who came to Noblape about seven years ago, and aside from farming almonds, he was looking for sheep sex. Yes. <laughs> And the more I found out about Malik, the more I knew it was ape sex is what he was looking for. He, he, he said that he was looking for information about Nirvana, a the state of mind, uh, and came across because Noble Ape used to be called Nirvana, only it was spelled N-E-R-V-A-N-A. That was the original project. Yeah. The Nirvana project. And that's how he found it. And he is basically, I mean, uh, growing almonds in Jordan, apparently, or olives. I, I can't recall what he found. Yeah. I think it might be olives. Is apparently gives you a lot of time to sit around, smoke a pipe, 
drink some tea and philosophize, which seems to be what he does for a majority of the time. And he makes a living. Well, of course, he lives simply. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And with his uh, iPad. Yes. <laughs> Actually, with the ever-increasing internet connection, the romantic view of Melek is his father was an engineer and his mother was from Greece, I think. And they, his father's Jordanian, and they decided to settle in Salt, which is just between Amman and the um, Israeli border, actually. And uh, they have pilgrims that come through. They have uh, Iraqis that come through. They have a wide variety of folk that come through their farmland area. But he lives there. His brothers, he's the he's the only son that stayed. His brothers are, most of them are in software. Uh, one is uh, yeah. in a games company and these kind of things. One's in Germany. So he's basically stayed with the family farm to kind of continue it through and also work through like a really quite torrid psychological philosophical set of dilemmas which he poses to me in long or he posed to me in long emails associated with how he could use noble ape in order to assist him oh, okay yeah. i have actually recorded melek on a few occasions there was another fellow <laughs> wait i'm trying to figure out how is this going to somehow connect to something we were talking about yes. I, for, I forgot already yes. this is a good story so <laughs> my point about it is that a majority of the people that find noble ape well actually historically you're right historically a majority of the people People that found Noble Ape found it through searches. And it was searches on a wide variety of topics that, you know, had some connection with Noble Ape and a group of them stuck. Now, you're right. The media super tank that is Tom Barbelay has been utilising a variety of other methods, including talking on a variety of podcasts and even this particular recording, to try and get people onto the Noble Ape site. Yeah, yeah. That aside, when Google cut any access to the Noble Ape site, it did have an effect on, obviously, people discovering it through Google. Absolutely, yeah. So yeah. the point that I made back to Tom and his buddy was that um, if Google stops connecting with your content as you yeah. create content, it's a bit of a problem. Yeah, yeah, that's obviously unacceptable. Yeah. It's not their discretion. The stuff is there. Anybody who wants to plug into it, plugs into it. Yes. Well, it, the, the way it's framed currently is very much is their discretion, and they like it that way, and <laughs> they funded the net neutrality debate to successfully... Yeah. So anyway, I posted No, that's that. all right. We'll, yeah. we'll get to it. You I know, it's, it. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And the other guy who was interacting with, again, said, well, I don't understand how this relates to page ranks. Uh, you know, so, I'm beginning to get this, you know, is that the issue here is that most people just are not sophisticated enough to frame it this the way you're talking about, this, you know. And in contrast, in every other post as well was Tom... I am Tom fellow yeah. posting associated with how this was going to devastate the computer industry and not even in any way interacting with the stuff that I had posted or even the stuff that his friend had posted. And the thing that came through this was that the two people I was communicating with, the final, after three of iter these iterations, the fellow who I was primarily talking to said, ah, I do understand what you're saying now. Yes, this would be a problem, which was concluded with this Tom guy posting, we're all doomed. There's no way we can work in the software industry. <laughs> and I just thought to myself, these are university educated people. I mean, these people. No, they're who, language monkeys. Well, you see this. This is where it gets very interesting <laughs> because you would think, that people that were artificial life sympathetic... You would? And you would. You'd, you you'd hope. You, no, no, you'd oh, hope. well, that's different. Yes, yeah. I wouldn't. I would think they're probably language monkeys. Yes, but, well, it's interesting because what <laughs> what is the category? What How do you get your ideas heard in this kind of plurality of discussion? This will be a familiar yeah. theme through this yeah. discussion, yeah. folks. Right. And 
if if you just have a group of people, and what occurred to me was that Tom's view was, I know what net neutrality means. It means this. <laughs> well, that's what it means to him. Yes, exactly. But he thinks, but he's projected that out as though that's some aspect of the world out there. Exactly. Some, yeah. Well, that's what I call a language monkey. No, I'm that's arguing. The, I'm yeah, arguing yeah, with that, that point. The, the that's thing, thing is, there's no point in even talking to them. Well, I can't unless that you can, unless you can sh- do something to shake them loose from that hypnosis i kind of found that out and i kind of thought to myself clearly the the primary problem is heron's problem my idea of just putting good ideas out there and having people kind of occasionally grab a hold of them and run with them occasionally all that is just far too utopian i gotta get down to the real estonian dynamics i don't think i don't i don't think that there's any quarrel between the two that they serve the same end that the the issue is what the fuck are we doing here and what, how am I going to spend my time? Yes. As effectively as I can. So Tom also featured slightly further through the week because I was contacted by longtime listener, longtime Noble 8 participant Andy, who goes by Andy Epsilon on Facebook, who is the guy you may recall who used to run the Noble 8 simulation for tens of thousands of years. In okay. order to get insight. He's the guy who talked yeah. about going swimming with his children and wondering if noble apes had similar experiences when yeah. they went swimming with their yeah. children. <laughs> he pointed me through did, the week. Did, did, did you answer? I think we talked about yeah, it. No, we talked yeah, about yeah, I talked yeah, about yeah, it. I put yeah, it out in yeah. audio. I've talked even to, yeah. you know, Larry Yeager and a variety of other folk about this. He posted through the week that this Tom character, this Ion Tom character of the net neutrality debate, had been making some representations, some rather curious representations about noble ape on Reddit. And Reddit is this Iron Tom guy's domain. I've actually all my interaction with Reddit has come through, uh, working with this guy. I remember a listener actually posted a bunch of stuff to Reddit. I think it was, uh, Joe the Drummer from memory. Yeah, I've been there a couple times yeah. and it seems sort of okay, but I don't know. I, I, I don't know what to do with it, I guess. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I'm kind of concerned by the echo chamber nature of it. And also, I, it's just another system to learn. And I think the people who yeah. have learnt the system are typically of probably a generation younger than me. And it's just not a... Well, in this case, it wasn't even something I could interact with. So there were three posts. The first post was a guy saying, I've listened to some of these Noble Ape podcasts. Not Stone Ape, but the Noble Ape yeah. podcast, Ape Reality. And I've looked at some of the YouTube clips, and I can't consolidate the stuff that this guy is saying. I'm, I'm using very polite language yeah. here. He used slightly less polite language. <laughs> With what is in the software, it just seems to be X, Y, Z. And then Tom posted, yes, he, d- what, he'd something along the lines of, yes, he does talk a lot of crap, but there's probably something there. Uh, and this is a guy who I've interviewed. This is a guy who I've actually taken my time to interview. And the thing yeah. that disgusted me was that the YouTube clip, which they both were commenting on, actually answered all the guy's questions and even pointed to bits of software. So Andy Epsilon contacted me through the week and he said, is this link true? Is this all stuff done? And this is stuff that Bob Mottram posted a year and a half, two years ago, associated with stuff that he'd already written. I think the this is framed because also in parallel through the week, I've been working on the iOS version of Noble Ape. After being pestered by a number of folk, including yourself. Are you thinking in terms of iPad, I hope? I'm right? thinking of both, actually. You see, okay, as long as, done, you, yeah, as long as it's going to work on both, that's fine. What <laughs> Apple has done here, Heron, which is particularly interesting, is at WWDC, and I don't think I'm letting any particular felines out of any particular bags, they have started to talk about the fact that um, 
rather than designing apps for the existing screen real estate, you should think about designing apps for a square. With the view that the square is the best possible yeah, get pattern distorted, yeah, to be distorted in it, right. which is what I've done yeah. with no play. That's really not a bad idea, actually. Yeah. That's, um, yeah. I mean, it's it's not as good as designing it specifically for the thing, well, but it's actually, a hell of a lot simpler. Here's the problem. Well, I see. guess you can tweak them though too if you want to. Apple I mean, there's has no already reason. changed yeah. the design of the thing a few times without telling developers until after the fact. What they're trying, what you have to do is kind of future proof, future device proof your software. To be run on potentially something long and thin, something yeah. square, something round. Yeah. Well, not something round, but, you know, yeah. you get the yeah. picture. Yeah. And I had already implemented that with the dynamic windows on the Mac. It was just a matter of conversing the Mac windows and then starting yeah. to think about how people actually interact with the information. So you've got a kind of text screen where rather than typing text in, you click on text in order to get various things to happen. You've got the regular isomorphic projection of the ape wandering around and then you've got the map view these are three separate views that you can move between but the criticism made me think that i need to put in more easter eggs into the app easily accessible click through (laughs) easter eggs that show things like the narrative engine actually working like showing the narrative actually coming out and then you know potentially showing um you know apes interactions the naming conventions genetic relationships but all doing this in a kind of graphical way which has been a bit of a challenge over the past couple yeah. of weeks i'm focusing in on some ideas but i've simplified the software quite dramatically for the ios release my aim is to get it released at the point of release of iOS 8. It will run quite comfortably on iOS 7, but I think there, you know... It's- Plan for the future, mm, man. Exactly. Yes, absolutely. So that is... The- and on iOS <laughs> devices, that's a no-brainer, mm. really, because mm. everybody upgrades. Yes. <laughs> There's yeah. just no issue. Well, what's more interesting is that they maintain their software and they upgrade. Yeah. So they just migrate the software over yeah, that they yeah, like to the new deep. devices. Yeah. yeah. So the early stuff was all about not making it hot. Because obviously there's a lot of stuff in Nova Lake that makes things hot. So I've removed a few I don't know features. what you mean by hot. I mean, literally, it makes the device hot. Oh, okay. Because it's using so much processing Yes, power. exactly. Okay. So yeah. you've got to basically meter the yeah. processing power and make it so it's quite a uh, comfortable, yeah. easygoing citizen, which is actually quite difficult when you do graphics the way that I do graphics. Yeah. Um, well, maybe you should do graphics a different way. Well, the problem with and this is unavoidable. It's associated with the screen refreshes. Apple recommends that you don't do full screen optimize full screen repeating graphics yeah, right and unfortunately that's the way oh, I do you, you, things oh yeah things. yeah so yeah. i've had to change some of those aspects but i've i've narrowed it down and i can narrow it down a little bit more yeah. um it's now quite comfortable within the <laughs> processing <laughs> there are all these little picky details oh, yeah. about reality <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. well it's interesting because if you get these things right then you have a, a growing base of users. My plan is to release it for, for free through the App Store and to see what it does in terms of bringing a new generation of users to no blame. I really have, I've allowed things to stagnate for the past few years because I didn't embrace the Mac App Store. I went through the standard distribution channels for the Mac. But I think iOS just gives a completely different user base to Noble Ape. And the main thing is to yeah. include enough stuff to make it Noble Apey, but in yeah, the same yeah. sense, not to include too much to kind of confuse people. Well, just hide it from them. Put it in an yeah. update or, you yeah. know, a, a purchase. Or on the Mac side. I mean, the Mac side basically <coughs> does everything that the iOS side does, but more. Yeah. So, yeah. Coming soon, folks. Coming soon. And soon could mean, what, uh, before the evening's out? 
No, not that soon. Yeah. Oh. Uh, coming soon. I, I I can probably actually I can probably actually get your betas if you're interested, Heron. So you yeah. can see it before others can. So. Oh, I'd love to. Yeah, that'd be fun. We have some listener submitted questions, and then we have a like a completely different golf. And I'm wondering which way I should go. Oh, listen, a, a meteorite could hit any moment. Uh, I would suggest tackle the big stuff first. Okay. So over the past three weeks. Vice, and really we should we should reach out to Vice and see if they'll sponsor the Stone Ape podcast because we talk about them so frequently. Well, sponsor us? What the hell does that mean? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> they come and interview us. Yes. That would be cool. I like the way I like their style, man. They're they're certainly. Uh, well, you say that there's there's a big organization. This is just one little arm of no, it. No, no, I think, well, yeah, it's interesting, actually, associated with what... You said it was the furry so. porn group? No, they have people who've just had sex. I mean, that's their thing. Oh. They they used to be... I My recollection of Vice, actually, historically, and I'm not sure if it's any way connected, oh. it could be, was that it was an equivalent to High Times magazine for the longest period of time. I could have gone that wrong, and no doubt how this yeah. will correct me. Yeah. But my understanding was that Vice was a magazine. You're yes, saying, yes, and it did, it did a lot of drug-related stuff, but okay. it was more. It but was also, more yeah, yeah, more... kind of militant than High Times was. Ah, um, I could be completely okay. wrong, and yeah. my listeners, our yeah. listeners will correct. Um, anyway, I've yeah, been... they're, they're furiously out there on Wikipedia, right? <laughs> did Just... you set up capitalization? We'll get to that shortly, Heron. But uh... <laughs> Jeez, a lot of shouting. Anyway. So, Vice has been teasing me over the past three weeks that they're going to release an ISIS documentary. Ah. And ISIS has been kind of, I don't know, under my radar for the past six months. It's not really been anything that I've kind of been interested in, primarily because whenever I hear about it, I hear words like jihadist, and it's the same old guys with the beards and the black <laughs> turbans, you know. And I really hadn't come to any appreciation that ISIS was anything different. Now, I should be clear here, and I'm going to try and maintain this for the rest of the recording. They have very recently changed their name just to IS, which stands for Islamic State. But the thing that strikes me about IS is that everything that I have read about them, now I've done some, well, relatively interesting background research into them, I realise that everything I have been told about them, predominantly by the media, has been incorrect. And it is a blueprint for me. I, I remember we've talked about a number of issues where the media has just been completely and utterly wrong. Associated <laughs> with, just like not even trying. Well, I'm not sure it even is in the realm of right or wrong. It's in, it's a realm of, it's, it's an epistemological realm. They, in a sense, I think they believe what they're saying. Well, the interesting point, that's without question. I guess yeah. my point is that is being a journalist a job? Like, is it your responsibility to actually do certain things if you're a journalist? Or is no, your role no, now there, just is, to... there is no such thing as a, they're just human beings committed to whatever fucking ideals they're committed well, to or not committed to. Well, Being a journalist, looking it up and reading the definitions and that's irrelevant. I'm not talking about looking up and reading the definitions. I'm talking about that when you're provided a piece of information in a press release from the White House, do you then, well, part of the problem is the White House doesn't really enable you to interact with anyone, you know, sources say, yeah. such and such and such. But the whole notion of what a journalist should be responsible for. Well, oh, that's doing, not a journalist. That's a trans, that's a transmitter of data. I mean, you go and you receive their handout and then print it. 
that's, that's exactly not a, my that's point. not journalism. We we are doing very we're yeah. trying very hard to disagree, but we actually agree one hundred percent here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, it's just. But again, it, the issue is is the, the public. Mm-hmm. It's all those fucking language monkeys out there who are stuck in their stories. So, Heron, I decided <laughs> because this information is relatively freely available that I should track down what ISIS or ICE, IS says yeah. about itself. Oh, heaven forbid. Which is a very curious... Oh, that's like, that, that's like yeah, that's like uh, reading the press releases from President Obama. <laughs> well, except it portrays... It's interesting, actually, because you do have to view this with... Let me talk about this experience, and then we can kind of editorialize it as we go through. Okay. They... IS has released four full-length films, recruiting films, called The Clang of Swords. This week I sat through one, two, and three partially, but they were basically unwatchable. The biggest recruiting film, and the one that they've had the most success with, is the fourth one of this. And it was released before the major victories that ISIS has had, before really the creation of the Caliphate, which is the area that they now control um, from Syria through to Iraq, (laughs) basically. <laughs> the nature of jihadis in these circumstances is very interesting because historically jihadis have not really been about creating nation states. In fact, there are a whole series of paradoxes associated with IS which make them unlike any jihadi organization I've ever read about yeah, or studied. Yeah, yeah. Well, they're not that they're what they are, you know. Mm. Yeah, that's Here's what's particularly interesting, which you will not hear about through any news source, Western news source at least. They model themselves on the US occupation force in Iraq, or at least they do in Iraq. They model themselves also on Blackwater. And it really is quite stunning to watch their propaganda. The propaganda takes no Thomas, no mention of Thomas Jefferson, I suppose. Well, there's no mention of the way the way the U.S. behaved in Iraq. Well, no, that's just what. Yeah, it's just yeah, right. They're learning their lessons well. So, I, I think I watched the the fourth edition originally in Arabic, and it was perfectly clear what was going on in Arabic. But then I went back for certain (laughs) sections and got the English translations just to confirm what I thought, in fact, was the case. The video starts off with a scene of um, Fallujah, I think. I'm pretty sure it's Fallujah from the air, from a drone. Actually, one of those helicopter drones. With a long column of uh, trucks and men on motorcycles coming into Fallujah. And this is the victorious... um, Sounds like Mad Max. Fighters, exactly. (laughs) It has been pointed out, which I found particularly curious, that this is also, the filming is exactly the same as some footage, although it's not exactly the same footage, but it's filmed in a style similar to the movie associated with the death of Bin Laden, what was a dark... 30 or whatever. whatever. Yeah. Um, and there are various homages to other films through this. There's no Goodfellas homage. I was waiting for the Goodfellas homage through that. <laughs> but it really is very curious that the people that created this, this recruiting film in particular had a keen sensitivity to Western style when they actually put this thing together. Yeah. The next cut, which goes on for about 15 minutes, is a small kill team it's two guys with kalashnikovs a driver and a cameraman basically finding the new army recruits and they can identify the new army recruits because they're driving new cars 
<laughs> so they drive along these new army recruits and they basically gun them off the road through triangulated fire. Now, you think this is probably quite barbaric and quite extreme, and it is without question. But this is actually based on Blackwater videos where they do it, where Blackwater does this to Iraqi civilians. Mm-hmm. And if you know that in context, the whole setting kind of frames what you see through the remainder of the documentary or the recruiting propaganda film, which is that ISIS... And IS, where, where is their documentation of, of this fact? The Fallujah stuff? US, US court transcripts, because they tried to sue... They tried to firstly get the guys convicted. So, I mean, in fact, this is not even slightly controversial. Well, it, the, I don't think the 10 o'clock news actually followed this case with particular detail, yeah. and I certainly couldn't provide analysis accordingly. Yeah, okay. There is interesting, I mean, it's very slickly done. So basically, one of the cars, the driver is able to escape, and the subtitles say, the hungry lions hunt down their prey as they chase after this guy into basically a walled fenced area, <laughs> where he then pleads that he is the only the driver, and then immediately, with a slurong kind of swoosh sound, a photo of him in Iraqi uniform, army uniform, sitting in a chair looking very proud of himself, flies up. And I don't know, I'm pretty sure, yes, you see them, you know, firing a few rounds into this guy and onto the next, <laughs> onto the next segment. Some of the most disturbing footage that I found through this was the house-to-house raids. They basically went after anyone who was in the military associated with trying to hunt down jihadists. And instead, they went to their houses in the evening and early morning, pulled them out of the houses, and then executed them. And they did so with a series of kind of cutaways of these people. And this one- is in their own film. Yes. Right? Yeah. Okay. One of the tri- one of the Do we tri- really need to hear more? Well, I mean- here's the thing about this, which I think is really, which you will not hear on any of the media coverage associated with this. They wear body armor. They have night vision goggles. They carry M16s. These are not your long-haired, yeah, yeah. bearded jihadists. Yeah, this no, is an organized, well-funded group that uses means of the U.S. military in order to exact revenge very, very swiftly. And the language. Well, so, of, what are we going to do about? Well, here's the interesting thing: the language of <laughs> violence that they use has been cultivated by our country with our tax dollars for the past, well, thirteen odd years. We have actually created this is this. I understand yeah. that. But I mean, the issue is so what now? What? Yeah, well, it doesn't make does it really make any difference how it got this way? Yes, it does. I really? Think, yes. Because, I'm not sure it does. Well, our tax dollars funded it getting to this point. The whole narrative associated with what has gone on currently is that, you know, this is reprehensible and we should protest about it and we should do a variety of things. But all those things have said and done, still the majority (laughs) in our name has gone over there and created this circumstance and it's getting worse. Well, Well, Islam is the first one to go off. Uh, Next are going to be the Christians. They're going to go off pretty soon. Well, you see, this is an interesting narrative (laughs) because through the stuff that I've presented here, I've given away most of the books, but certainly a number of the books that I was able to collect associated with the training of uh, special forces in this country, but also the general, you know, boots in military, is that there is a certain crusade mentality which is part of the documentation and the training of our forces as well. So well, it's course. not yeah. That, yeah. it's not that it's these evil Muslims. It's, no, it's that on both sides this narrative has been allowed yeah, to kind it's of language monkeys. Yes. 
That's the problem. Totally out of control. I mean, not all language monkeys are that bad. But, uh, yeah, there, there's a segment of language monkeys that uh, will uh, destroy life on this planet mm. if they get their way. Both passively and actively. The passive way that this yeah, has been yeah. created in our names is a phenomenon that I think needs a new counter-narrative. The counter-narrative up until now has been so far removed from the practical reality of having invasion forces in a country for 10 years doing house-to-house raids, doing random protracted bombings. (laughs) All these things has created a bunch of 12- to 18-year-old kids that speak a language of violence that is far more in tune. Yeah, and they don't know anything else. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, uh, it's, uh, it's serious. This is serious shit. Yeah. You know, this is no shit. Serious stuff. Yeah. And again, there is no solution coming from any of the governments of the world. No, they in fact, I think, clue they, what's going on. I think this is going to play out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think they are, they are, you know, if, if anyone should be criminally negligent in these circumstances. Well, it's everybody. Yeah. It's all of us. Yeah. It's everybody who sat around and watched Dancing with the Stars instead of reading a book or something. <laughs> Fuck them. Yeah. <laughs> Gotta have somebody to blame. Yeah. <laughs> But as as our forces have gotten more medieval in terms of their interaction over the past decade, any interaction with these fellow forces as a combatant will only further move us into this kind of bizarre language monkey quote. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, well, the U.S. murders for money, and uh, these guys murder for Allah. Well, for their vision of of that that world, I think they murder because they know no other way. I think murder is actually their means of communication. It's their primary means of communication. <laughs> they be no. I think it's a language that they that we have enacted on well, them through our complicity, and that they well, again, then utilize to yeah. a far better pitch. You know, that we could ever have demonstrated initially. <laughs> They've done that over and over again. Yeah, well, suicide bombing, so-called, uh, is just unthinkable in the ego of <laughs> nobody would. Yeah, but yeah, mm. to just, well, that same thing with the kamikaze. Mm. You know, that was thought to be horrid and unthinkable. Mm. <laughs> Well, it, not not if you're really committed. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> not if you don't really believe that you know the truth of God. <laughs> so, our listener, I, I'll just refer to him, as we now refer to our listeners in single names, I'll just refer to him rarely by his last name. Our listener, Moorhead, posted through the week that I should listen to a particular podcast. I did take him up on his offer. I did listen to at least parts of the podcast. Anyway, he posts listener from Sea Realm Influence and or Noble Ape in years past. I'm not sure what and or means in this context. Either it influenced him or it didn't. But anyway, of course I love your podcast, but I love a lot of podcasts. So he's free with his podcast love. <laughs> you all have mentioned Rogan's oh, show. <laughs> Uh, I don't really, I, it's interesting actually, I've really, a lot of those recordings I don't really listen to anymore, in fact it's kind of yeah. become a bit of a satire. Now he starts screaming at us, would you listen to Duncan Trussell's last podcast and reflect about others' references to Earthlings? I listened to the show and keep kept thinking about Stone Ape. My point to any listener that would want to yell that to us would be... When, when you say yell, you mean type in caps? Yes. Yes, okay, thank you. Uh, would be, it's the listener's responsibility to contact the people to get them to listen to Stone Ape. I listen to 
some of this recording. There's a thing called Libsyn, which folks who maybe listen to podcasts but don't actively participate in podcasts probably wouldn't know about. But Libsyn is a company that started maybe eight years ago. And for a period of time, I knew the CTO of Libsyn. And Libsyn's big shtick was that podcasters should pay money on a monthly basis to have their podcasts hosted by Libsyn. <laughs> and as their podcasts got more successful, Libsyn would charge them more money because obviously bandwidth costs Libsyn money and therefore the listeners, the producers yeah, of the podcast yeah. had to pay them. Yeah, yeah. Of which perfectly podcasts- reasonable uh, thing if you can get somebody to do go along with you. <laughs> which made reasonable. the podcast presenters <laughs> on Libsyn try to get their listeners to contribute funds so they could pay their Libsyn bills and when <laughs> The listeners didn't contribute funds. The podcasters got pissed off with the li- listeners and tended to go off in a spat. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because the whole thing re- was just a scam. Who yeah. would want to re-evaluate your relationship with the podcasting company that you had originally put your podcasts on? Anyway, so as soon as I saw the Libsyn link, I immediately thought, oh... Okay, well, I'll give this thing a listen. It, the start of the recording was, I don't know, maybe a five-minute skit about Ebola. And even though I can find some glimmer of intellectual hope in ISIS, or IS as it is now, I really have very little... I mean, my view is that Ebola as it stands what, currently... What possible hope can you find in ICE? I see... I for, I see any organization that uses youthful energy, I think has the ability, irrespective of all the vast quantities of bad ah. stuff about it, oh, yeah. is still based on something that I would want to harness in the future. Absolutely. Young people are where that's where the future yeah. is. Absolutely. Yeah. The young, yeah, they, they can be, uh, they're not brain dead yet, but and you've got to get them before they're yeah. about 20. It's Although it's relatively easy to say this from downtown San Jose, <laughs> I, I feel genuinely appalled and really, really, really sorry for people that have to live in the countries that the U.S. has invaded oh, yeah. in the past, you know, few years. You know, as bad as Iraq was yeah. with Saddam there, <laughs> I don't think there are too many people who wouldn't switch it back in a heartbeat. Yeah, <laughs> yeah even even Shia that were persecuted under Saddam oh, yeah, it's were better considerably than what's going better on. off than what is yeah, there currently. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Just, I don't, I don't, I can't imagine yeah. anybody not saying, bring him back. <laughs> yeah. No, it is astonishing. And I do understand that these people are rightfully angry. And I do understand yeah, that destroyed these people, destroyed their, their society. Their civilization, <laughs> yeah. every aspect of their yeah. society was completely yeah. obliterated. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. And the fact that they choose to use the same mechanisms to try to reclaim their society while part of a paradox that I don't necessarily think is a particularly promising one. Well, it's ridiculous. Have, yeah. That isn't going to happen. We're into a new world now. That is yeah. never going to happen. Yeah. And they're going to, if if they don't get, get with that program, they're going to get fucked. <laughs> yeah. Well, they already did get fucked. They're going to get killed. <laughs> well, they already did get killed. They That's got, the yeah. thing, you know. They, they've already been they fucked. Did, they've already they been killed. Did, they, they the only way is up. They did get killed. Yeah. <laughs> so they want to do some fucking and killing before they eventually get killed. Yeah. <laughs> That's Perfectly really, reasonable to me. See, as you can see, we have our work cut out for us. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
I posted last night uh, it's some, the footage that Vice is putting out associated with an American who has joined the Ukrainian separatists. No, sorry, the Ukrainian army to fight the Ukrainian separatists. And the irony was just dripping from that uh, particular <laughs> interview. So I reposted it with that comment. Yeah, yeah. It is amazing that um, the, the ability to get people to fight each other is so much easier than the, the ability to get people to talk. Like, it just seems that, I guess, ideology is stronger <laughs> than any point of, you know, you know basic- I, I got, I just, I was, I was trying to post this to my Facebook page, but I couldn't for some reason, but mm. an, a, a study about, uh, people who were, who would take an electric shock rather than spend five minutes alone in a room sitting, thinking by themselves for five minutes. Mm. They would rather be shocked. Then do that. It wasn't on their genitals, Heron, was it? Was no, it just no, no, it was, no, it, no, it was just some innocuous thing. I mean, apparently it was not pleasant, not pleasant enough, <laughs> you know, so, but still, and this wasn't like 80% of people, the, the, I, the idea of sitting alone in a room by yourself for five minutes is scary and something to be avoided at almost any cost. Yeah. I, I doubt it applies to our listeners, though, who are probably sitting oh, alone done, in no, rooms. Oh, of course current. not. No, it's just you can look around you and gloat at all those other people who fall for this shit. Yes. I, I've missed, actually, Moorhead's um, continuation. He says, to conclude, uh, he wants us to think... Oh, he's And so he's been thinking about guns as a symbol... But that is apparently just me thinking the Stone Ape people should bow out of the firearm movement. I guess he means firearms. Um, I've actually thought through the week associated with this as well. The distinction here is that I literally, less than arm's length, have a bunch of different steel parts now neatly confined in Tupperware containers in the various areas associated with the um, 80% firearms movement i actually almost considering kind of giving away some of these things as as art installations ah how interesting interested in that if you are interested in that (laughs) on on a nice little mahogany stand you know yeah yeah. cool (laughs) so yeah my perspective here and i've stated this ad nauseum is my interest is you know associated with mechanical understanding and also i think there's something associated with the language of violence here uh that is very removed from the actual underlying mechanics i do understand in this country for very curious reasons probably because people chose not to arm themselves that um you know guns are are both worshipped and demonized in the kind of perfect view Mm. i sit comfortably in the middle uh with the view that i've lived in societies that haven't had any firearms and i've known people personally who've been hacked to death in those societies (laughs) there's always machetes yeah exactly (laughs) that um you know my view is that uh violence and the culture of violence is independent of these well yeah but guns do really make it a hell of a lot easier well yes there's less consequence associated (laughs) yeah you know you don't even have to get up real too close to them or anything well yeah but you then need to fire more bullets and it's more expensive yeah 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 so, but um, no, I think uh, our listener Moorhead, really, I'm just interested in hearing more from him because um, I guess I have some kind of sense of who he is, but the context of the stuff that he posts leaves me kind of scratching my head. We did receive another uh, post through the week, I think from our listener Connor Sites Bowen, asking me to talk about the importance of war. 
So to frame this topic, I'll take it from a different perspective. I've felt, even prior to my reading of Plato, that my role in society was to instigate intellectual trouble. To basically annoy, frustrate, and Towards no particular end. Just fuck things up in general. Well, people might say that it was to no particular Well, that's what I ask. Yeah, right. But I think ultimately my view is that I do it from a perspective that revolutionary folk, revolutionary intellectual folk, don't really exist as a kind of common Um, thing in today's society, you know? Well, it depends on what you mean by revolutionary then, doesn't it? Well, you see, the problem is that the whole dialogue now, and this is universal, this happens in the UK and Australia as well, happens all over the world, but the whole dialogue is so politely framed amongst two apparent dichotomies which are never actually, you know, in any way in opposition... That if yeah, you, yeah. you know, if you have any any intellectual bent, you might find this mildly irritating, almost to the point where a good number of people. <laughs> well, just it's don't not interact. worth listening. Yeah, exactly. right. There's not any point in engaging that system. Yes, unless there's something like I say, like the marijuana initiative thing. Mm. That's the only reason to vote is if there's some particular issue that you might benefit from. Mm-hmm. Then you should definitely go out and vote. But those fucking politicians who's in office doesn't make any difference. Well, it's interesting, actually, because I I do wonder about these things like the marijuana initiatives and these kind of things. I feel so dirty when I use the term marijuana, Heron. I really really? work on that. Yeah. Marijuana is... Yeah, there's nothing wrong with psychoactive drugs. Psychoactive drugs are a blessing on the universe. No, I'm talking about the word marijuana as opposed to cannabis or something which actually describes something. Oh, weed. How about weed? Weed works. Yeah, I like weed. Weed. (laughs) I mean, that's sort of a throwaway word because actually it's a sacred herb. Yeah. Well, I consider my tomatoes and various herbs that I grow ah. of the non-cannabis variety. I would put them in the well. same category. Yeah, yeah. you yeah. should have uh, some weed growing in your garden too. Yeah, I do feel guilty about that, actually. I mean, I do feel that uh, I'm kind of letting the side down associated with my lack <laughs> of, uh, of that kind of stuff. I suspect well, if you don't feel any need to do that, then I've got to there's actually no point work in doing the distance. It. We have a school very close by, which unfortunately in California law means <laughs> that you may not be able to, uh, you know, do that kind of stuff, unfortunately. I think it might be within the half a mile limit that is applied. Can't, can't do what? You can't grow cannabis within a half a mile limit of a school. Ah, okay. Uh, really? Ah, yeah. oh, how interesting. Okay. Well, yeah, that's unfortunate. I seem to read laws as a pastime in this country. I don't know what comes yeah. from me. But yeah, it's typically late night where I'm like, so what are the laws associated with this? Ah, half yeah. a mile from a school, you know, these kind yeah. of things. No, I do shit like that too. Usually late at night, just before I go to sleep, I, some exactly. stupid idea comes into my head. And, yeah. and with the iPad next to me, it's so fun and easy. I mean, the thing is a miracle to me. Mm-hmm. You know, you wake up in the middle of the night and you got just right there. You know, the whole fucking universe is just right there. If you got an idea, something to think about or do, yes. you don't even have to get out of bed. Yes. <laughs> but returning to war. So in, ah, in my well, instruments yeah. of instigation, a curious understanding, i.e. taking bits of knowledge which are in no way connected and putting them together in a form that seems to rile people is not necessarily an art form. I do, I do... As I get older and as my genetics are progressively tested, 
And as historically, when I've hung around with bunches of Jews, I do see this more as a kind of Jewish tradition, which for me has been purely genetic and not in any way kind of taught. But I do appreciate the ability to have a degree of knowledge of a variety of things. I agree with you. It's a, it's a, it's been not, well, it's not a problem, but you know, it's why people think I'm an asshole. Mm. <laughs> and mm. I, I understand that. Testify. I, I'm an, I'm erudite. I am well read, yeah. well, more or less, you yeah. know, and, uh, and I really do fucking care yeah. about these ideas and shit. And that's just really too weird for most people. Mm. Mm. So Connorsides Bowen then moved into a discussion of kind of paper war games. I guess this includes things like Dungeons and Dragons versus Noble Ape. And uh, funnily enough, it actually, this whole conversation occurred at lunch today with my co-workers because apparently there was a, an article published recently by a journalist associated with Gary Gygax, the creator of Dungeons and Dragons and the period of time where he lost control of the work. Uh, and it was eventually sold to Wizards of the Coast, which is a large kind of gaming conglomerate. I, funnily enough, independently, and this is the benefit, as you say, of having the iPad by the bed to independently research these things, knew the story because I'd already done the research into who was this crazy woman, who was, you know, how had this whole thing gone down. But through this discussion, we had quite a detailed... um you know, to and fro, and really, I don't know my co-workers from Adam. We've been thrust together because we yeah. can all do these things with, you know, computers. Huh. But aside well, you, from one that, thing you can be sure of, about 98% of them are totally unconscious language monkeys. Well, previously, you said through the nature of my work, I shouldn't assume that, and that these people have probably had experiences. Oh, they may be, them... you're right, it may be better, it may be less than, it may yeah. be 90%. Maybe. Yeah, I yeah mean, no, I, I would be comfortable yeah, with that. Yeah. The point is, is... Uh, you know, you just can't blurt out some shit that's obvious to you in an environment where you got 90% of the people are going to freak out. Yeah, but you can wander towards that. Do you know the one topic that did get my co-workers to freak out? The notion that at some stage we will have cat people walking the earth. The whole notion that animal genetics will eventually be spliced with human genetics. Oh, yeah, 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 that the whole idea of human will lose all meaning. Exactly. Yeah, right. Now... Yeah, that freaks people out. Funnily enough, I was totally in favour of this idea. Well, it's already true. Exactly. And funnily enough, I didn't really realise that this would actually cause people offence. In fact... Ah, uh, yes. That's right. They can tell. They may not... You may think there's... And they are stupid. Well, they're not stupid. You know, there's a part of them that can see, you know, if I accept this, that that's going to call into question a whole bunch of other shit that I just don't want to fucking deal with. Yeah. And yes. so they immediately say, fuck this, this is bullshit. <laughs> yes. I guess I've been very comfortable with my Neanderthal genes. I'm about 2.7% Neanderthal, I think, according to, uh, what is it, 23andMe. Really? That low? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, from the looking at you, you know. Damn skippy. <laughs> it's all in my face, Heron. All the Neanderthals <laughs> in my face. Well, that's all I've ever seen. <laughs> Yeah, 100% Neanderthal. No, the no, place. you got the shoulders, too. I was looking at that Frankenstein picture you used for a... <laughs> for a... Tom, good. Yeah, and with that, you know... Tom, kill now. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Funnily 
know if that was actually a newspaper article that was written about me when I was 20 or something. Yeah, it's the terrible framing of those shots. They'd always let that photojournos come over and say, pose like this, and then we'll shoot you up from the nostrils, you know? Yeah, yeah. cool idea. We're very artistic here, around. Yes, yes. Well, particularly associated with computer vision rates. We've got to put yeah. him in a tangent That's right. to yes. make That's him look right. different from the rest of us, right? So, yeah. yeah. Well, they did a great job. They did. And funnily enough, my early childhood, and here we're talking up to about the period of time that I was 12, was spent, in fact, all that happened from 12 to 15 is instead of writing, you know, vast rules associated with the universes that I was creating, I converted that, only a few steps to the left, to computer code to do exactly the same thing. So yes, in answer to Connor's question, I think I've talked about this previously, there was pretty well a continuum between playing, writing, creating these fantasy universes and working on Noble Ape. There was no downtime through there that <laughs> normally would be attributed to sexual yeah. activity or smoking weed. Unfortunately, it was straight from one nerd space to another. <laughs> and I've reflected on this yeah. through the week, Karen, and yeah. I'll talk a little bit about this as well, because this was something I wanted to raise. Yeah. Through the week, my <laughs> late grandparents' estate, in fact, it's in the kind of tail end of being divided and apportioned. Yeah. And I had wind of this because uh, one of my cousins in particular posted a kind of homage to the things that he was getting from my grandparents' estate. And progressively I've heard about various cousins and my brothers in terms of the furniture and various other items, and less so the finances, but the financial part of it is yeah, also there. Yeah, that from and, the and the stuff. Yeah, all the, <laughs> yeah. All the things yeah. they collected through their life. Yeah. So the item that I... Are had, there a lot of really good old furniture? Yeah, no, yeah, a lot yeah. of really good old furniture. Yeah, None yeah. of which I have. <laughs> I have, which I think for me... And you anyway, got the space for it now. I mean, you got the right <laughs> house for it. It's yeah. all been divided, Heron. Even the train set went to someone else. So... I have. So you're just out. You abandoned the ship when you left yes. Australia, and yeah. fuck you. <laughs> Basically, because they did it very politely. I do have a small, a small selection of items that I physically myself went and organized with my grandparents while they were still alive to take with me back to the U.S. So I have a small set of possessions. The possession that remains in Australia, however, that I did get again through my mother's actions to get it was my grandparents' copy of the Beatles' Magical Mystery Tour. <laughs> and this is my legacy associated with my grandparents. I, to be fair, though, there is no bitterness here. There is no bitterness here at all, because I had, I had two really important things through this period of time. I spent a vast quantity of time with my grandparents. Yeah, you They impacted me very, yeah. very well. Yes. And if there was anything of their possessions, aside from the Monty Python scripts, which I took through talking to them and taking while I was still yeah. alive, uh, the Magical Mystery Tour album probably was one of the most important aspects of my childhood. I was thinking about this associated ah. with psychedelia. I used to play the Magical Mystery Tour and the Beatles White Cover album and Sgt. Pepper's both forwards and backwards <laughs> as a child. How do you play them backwards? Well, here's what I did. I didn't actually spin the record backwards because obviously my grandfather would have ticked me off. My grandfather is the cause of this. He once sent us a tape of the Beatles White Cover album where the spool accidentally twisted. And if you rotate the tape itself, it plays backwards. It's not the best way to do it. The best way to do it is actually to unthread the spool so you have magnetic contact on both sides. If the tape flips, you don't get the magnetic yeah. contact, so it's a bit yeah. muffled. But you do get to hear it backwards. 
what you should do is actually record it, flip the spools, retwist it through, Jeez, and then you so can hear it back. It's so much easier these days, yeah. you know. It's just a snap. Yeah, or just the reverse. Yeah, yeah. That's the way you, you know, know, it took me about two hours to recut the movie uh, Memento mm. to put everything in the proper uh, uh, sequence, yeah. you know. It took me like two hours to do that. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, now I can reverse all the Beatles songs instantly. It's beautiful, yeah. actually. Yeah, really? Yeah. 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 Like three, three seconds. Yeah. yeah. So for listeners that are interested, my favorite two Beatles songs backwards are Dear Prudence and Back in the USSR, which are actually back-to-back as well on a white cover album. But yeah, I periodically, now because I have it on iTunes, listen to uh, the Magical Mystery Tour. And I think, yeah, I, I'm strangely at peace with this. I read, it, it didn't come in a phone call, actually. It came in an email from my mother associated with, uh, you know, the final get-together. And I read it out to my wife. My wife has had experiences with her grandparents that have been pretty brutal, where, you know, one family member kind of runs away with everything. This wasn't necessarily the case with my grandparents, although one family member did basically take all stuff out of the house. But she was considerably more upset and disgusted. I guess my only thing was it was just a really strange legacy. Although I'm... Well, pretty... you get to see who your family people are. Well, <laughs> yeah, and it's pretty scary. I mean... Damn what, right it is. What it made me realise was all the years... And I actually spent a long period of time with these people. I would go there... You you know, through the summer holidays, which corresponds with the year's end and kind of Christmas, that kind of time period, on a pretty regular basis, probably a majority of my youth over that period of time was spent in my grandparents' home. To the point where actually when I was 15, I got a scholarship to go to school in Adelaide and I would have lived with them over that period of time. I was very close with my grandparents. And none of my cousins have that breadth of experience. I mean, some of them spent quite a quality of time. My own brother went to university there and spent some time with them. But I had them when they were still relatively young, you know, and just a wide variety of experiences that I feel quite nurtured by. It's also very difficult to feel sad about this when you sit in, although it's slightly saggy and that needs to be repaired and the electricity isn't particularly good, a house that by any stretch of the imagination is vast and rambling (laughs) and feel, you know, it's actually kind of sad that on some level, you know, the kind of grasping monetary nature of humans that this probably will destroy some aspect of this thing. But well, that's part of an era that's over, I it's think. It's departed. You yes. know, it, uh, it is our, it's all yeah. part of our past, how yeah. we got where we're going. <laughs> you know? Yes. It was, yeah. My, I remember my uh, my uncle uh, was some rich real estate guy mm-hmm. who lived in this two-story mansion in Beverly Hills. <laughs> and he'd come down in his big Cadillac with his wife and take my mother and me <laughs> out to dinner. So you know? he was your maternal uncle? He was on your mother's side? Yeah. No, 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 he was my father's uh, brother. I'm, I don't know what. Yeah, but he was on my father's side. And, um, well, anyway, it was it was just really, and I... Did he own the cabin? Yeah. Oh, yeah. very good, Tom. Yeah. God damn, you are on the ball. <laughs> Shit, yes. They owned the cabin. Mm-hmm. He and his wife, aunt, my Aunt Edna. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I used to love hanging out at their house. And we, we every once in a while, we'd end up at their house. And uh, it was, God, this huge thing. And it was dark. And it was... Did he have children or was he childless? You no, know, he had um, two children. Hmm. And they just died, I think. In fact, I don't even know if they've died. I mean, they're both older than hell. Mm. They're way older than me. They're at least 20 years older than me. But one of them was uh, was around maybe 10 years ago. I talked to her. Mm -hmm. 
Uh, and she's still a nut. She never got married. She's just, she was probably a lesbian. I never thought about it in those days. <laughs> but, you know, I have no idea. Well, anyway, she never got married, but she loved opera. Mm. And she, uh, she knew everything in the world about opera. Mm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So what does a conversation with Heronstone 10 years ago with this woman it, was it just a making contact conversation? Yeah, I was. I, or, I mean, yes, well, no, I was. I was looking through. Every once in a while, I look through my telephone book, you know, <laughs> of, of the past, you know, and I see things, the people that I, and I just get this thing. Well, let's just call and see what happens. <laughs> <laughs> How bad can it be? Really? No, it's always been good. Yeah, yeah, it's always been good. And, uh, and there, there, there she was, you know, I hadn't talked to her. I don't know how many years. I wonder if the number is still good. Let's call it and find out. Yes. <laughs> there she is. Yeah. And she still lives in LA, does she? Uh, well, she did 10 years ago. Right. Like I say, I mean, she's, a, I, well, I don't know if, yeah, she must be 20 years older than I am. Gosh. So I would make her, you know, getting up into her late eighties. Yeah. But she seemed pretty fucking healthy. Yeah. She was always, yeah, she was really kind of a neat sort of, I think she was way ahead of her time, actually. Yeah. yeah I don't know if she was lesbian or not, but she was weird. Mm-hmm. You know, she was artistic and she liked the opera and, you know. Did she have cats? I don't remember. Okay. Probably. <laughs> Just need to go together. Yeah, really. Yeah. I, I, I don't know. Yes. Yes. Well, hell, I should call her again. Yes. <laughs> still got her number. Yeah, it's not likely to have changed if, uh, if she's <laughs> yeah. still there. Yeah. yeah. They are funny things, telephone numbers for people that don't move. Yeah, my stepmother who's coming to visit, who's in her, I guess, mid to late 70s. Still has the same number that she's always had. So when it came <laughs> well, up in my take f- your number with you, I mean, my number is the same number I've had for I don't know fifteen years. Oh wow, you've been able to. I we always lose our number because when we moved here, even though it's well, it's about ten miles from where we used to live. They said, "Oh no, this isn't a different telephone block. This is the oh, cable no, company." Wait a minute, no. Wait. Oh, okay. You're not you're not talking about the the phone system, right? Yeah, I'm talking about the phone system. Oh, okay. Yeah, no, I'm, I only have cell. So, oh, okay. Yeah, the cell number is obviously totally on better. it. Yeah, yeah no, yeah. it's you. Yeah. No, we still have the cell number we have from Vegas. Or yeah, yeah, huh? yeah. So, yeah. Very easy. To I love that. the idea that you don't have to even concern yourself with long distance anymore. You know, it's just if you want to talk to somebody, just. <laughs> All of them. You know, you don't have to wonder, well, gee, how much, you know, it's none of that shit. No. Ah, which reminds me about a, not a, something I did want to talk about. Mm-hmm. Instead, I realize, actually, I'm probably happier now than I've ever been in my life. Oh, that's an, that's an interesting assessment. I feel the same way, actually. <laughs> well, it's a, if it's a trend, let's go for it. Yes. <laughs> you know, but, you know, the thing, one of the things that, is that, for the first time in my life in the last two years, because I'm getting Social Security, that actually allows me to save money every month. Mm. For most of my life, I was like one month away from homeless. Yeah. And although I got on with everything, I real, I'm wondering how much of that, how, how high a price we pay for that stress. Yes, in terms of one's psychology. Yeah. yeah. You know, because really, I don't live any different than I did then, you know. Well, the interesting that- thing is when you talk about stress, it's the physical effect of stress. Well, yeah, I've known a number of people yeah. whose parents have worked long hours, long jobs, and just dropped dead before they were at retirement age. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's just – well, anyway, it, it's something I, I think – imagine a world where survival was just not even an issue. 
The problem is that I, I very much as a utopian, viewed that this would happen in my lifetime. Well, it may still happen. Well, what I didn't appreciate was really, and although we've talked about this previously, although this doesn't apply to you, the greed of your generation, that really there was a very strong push to say, no, you're just going to have to work harder, work more hours. Yeah, yeah, I was really sad that the fucking hippies all went to work and, uh, and started watching television, you know? Yeah. But the, their paymasters, the people that were trying to get the profits out of this whole experience, you know, just tightened the screws that little bit more, just made sure that everything <laughs> was just a little bit more intense, you know? Yeah, the phones you, always have to be you got your job, you know? Exactly. You know, none of this luxurious... Remember back in the day, people used yeah. to say that computers would make people's lives easier, <laughs> that they would be able to work away. Now, I work from home one day a week, and it is a real luxury. Although yeah. the craziness about working from home one day a week is you get exactly the same emotions you'd get at work, except you're not actually surrounded by people through that Yeah, yeah so you can go even crazier. Yeah. So you can <laughs> forget, at work, you, you have know. to contain yourself. Yeah, you can forget lunch, and, you know, it's all just <laughs> nonsense. But, yeah, it is, it is an ex- the whole thing associated with the utopian view of the future and how it's just all gotten. And I, I mean, we've talked about when the flowers died historically. And I thought that there was actually a really solid prescription associated with, you could chart where, and this, to quote the, uh, now ever present Chuck D, this is the movement from we to me. But you can actually chart when the kind of hippie you movement yeah. went from being a kind of collective view through the attack of Reaganism, me generation, <laughs> where all that stuff was quickly translated I, yeah, into. Yeah. I don't know what happened. I think it's basically it's just history. It's just language monkeys, you know? A lot of us didn't go back. A lot of us were profoundly altered by that whole period. But the people that weren't basically had rewritten the rules. So by the time you emerged, it didn't matter whether you as an individual were unaltered or not. The system had actually... Well, it matters to me. The system had actually changed to a point where irrespective of your individual philosophical views, you would be disempowered from enacting change through your lifetime. Well, yeah, if you want to play by their rules, yeah, you, you can't win. That's sort well, of that's a given. that's interesting. So what rules do you play by in order to yeah, do... Well, you, I guess you got to make them up. That's what I'm doing. It's yes. a revolution from the inside. Change the way people think. Yeah. I don't see any other way, really. I mean, changing the system without changing the way people think, I, I don't think is really going to be any solution. Hmm. I think the the fundamental thing that has to happen is that people have to really wake up from the trance of language and get that the voice in their head isn't who they are and that uh, they ought to seriously consider any fucking positions that that language machine has got a hold of yeah. and start questioning them very seriously. Yeah, an interview with me came out through the week that I took in February last year. In fact, I know the date exactly because I mentioned in the interview that you and I had restarted our conversations. <laughs> the interview in part was, well, it was exclusively tailored towards the model rail radio yeah. audience. Yeah. And it was put out by a fellow who's just started his own podcast based on interviewing participants from model rail radio. I'm actually going yeah. to utilize this to talk to 
uh, Jim Gore, who's the fellow I've referenced previously, yeah. who was captured by the Viet Cong under the Vietnam War, is a fascinating fellow, currently a, a biology professor in Florida, but he is, like, there are a few deep philosophical thinkers. You've talked to Peter Stimple as well in the past, who I would also classify in that yeah. kind of group that have participated, and to, to a certain extent also Chris Abbott. In framing this, he, the interviewer, who is a former editor of Model Railroad magazine, amongst other things, returned to the fact that I am very selfless in terms of what I do with Model Rail Radio, that I have this perspective that, you know, I'm not interested in making money, I'm interested in building a community, and that this kind of goes flat, dead and against everything that has ever been done with Model Railroading previously. Although this was recorded in February last year, roughly a week ago, I proposed to the Model Rail Radio Facebook group that rather than the phenomena of people posting links in half a dozen Facebook groups, that if they were going to post three photos in five different Facebook groups, maybe they should take 15 photos and post three different photos in each of the five Facebook groups. Because quite frankly, I was sick of seeing the same posts everywhere. I thought this was a relatively uncontroversial thing about, because I did a survey, about between yeah, a third yeah. and a quarter of the Model Rail Radio participants thought this was a good how idea. How many places are you talking on Facebook? I'm talking on Facebook. How, how many Facebook places are they are there to post to? Oh, for Model Railroad, there's, yeah. there's, about, there's about a dozen of which oh, we yeah. are in the top two or three okay but i mean what you're saying is that people are posting to five or six of these groups exactly and most of the community belongs to all of them and it's just a whole lot of sameness and really it's just kind of lazy part of the i'm not talking about policing it i'm just saying if you're going to post content think about that you know well well, how but what's the solution the solution is and thankfully people have done that of the you know, of the 20 biggest offenders who constantly every day post the same the three same photos stuff, yeah. to, you know, 15 different groups, well, five yeah. different groups, consider posting different content or even selecting content. And my point back okay. to the people was I didn't really care if it was a reduction in content to model rail radio because we still have a hell of a lot of content every day. Yeah. It yeah. just would improve things. Yeah. So of this group... So, so the one solution is to post it to one place. Exactly. Or split it up exactly. among a bunch of them. Yeah. I mean, I that, that, was... that seems stupid, though. Obviously, this, the, the reasonable... Well, well, I guess, no, that's just my opinion. <laughs> It'd be easier to just post them all to one place rather than... Well, so having said this, which I didn't think was particularly controversial, but I wanted to float it. The two main hostile... Well, actually, the three main hostile accusations. The first came from one of the podcasts that... Has has been around or one of the participants he's not even a, a main figurehead of the podcast who said that i was trying to squash his particular podcasting's page con- as content because obviously the content implied through this was the content that he was receiving was all repost stuff anyway which i thought was kind of strange another communication which i had off the thing was that um this was a form of social engineering and that you know <laughs> i should feel disgusted by even referencing it and the final one who appears to be at least a listener to this podcast was that this was an elitist move on my part in order to control you know the model rail communities i don't know stuff yeah. Which makes me think... You know, take over the model railroad... Uh, community. Model railway yeah. community. Yeah. See, well, why not? Somebody's got to do it. Here's the phenomena that strikes <laughs> me, which I actually made in the interview. I've devoted five years to this community, a vast quantity of time editing audio and putting it out. 
Yeah. I'm not in any way asked for any money through this period, and if anything, what I've tried to do is actually change the model rail hobby for the better through a series of these acts, but also creating dialogue and discussion <laughs> that would never exist in the media, in the publications, or now the publication associated with model railroading in this country, at least. All I need to do See, is... See, I still can't even say model railroading yeah. hardly without fucking it up. All, all that I <laughs> did through this was propose something slightly different and slightly challenging for a group of people and immediately the response was oh no now we know tom's really trying yeah. real he's scheme. trying to take over yeah. he's really yeah. trying and thankfully I so who cares yeah. no yeah. but here's my point we, and this goes back to my original discussion associated with how do you get the net neutrality idea out of there is how well, but you, if you're talking about your if you're talking about net neutrality, it's already out there. You're talking about your idea. That's something else. That's exactly well, that's my point. You ought to how quit you talking about it. Well, it's not net neutrality. That's for damn sure. Well, it's not net neutrality. TM Google trademark. Well, but net neutrality has already taken its place. In it is a description. Uh, it's there. Of limited. You're going to have to deal with it. It's it's what's out there. Yeah. Well, you know, the same could be argued with artificial life. And I, yes, there are many yeah. things that that applies to. Exactly. Yes. And I'm that's where it's, it's really about creating new language. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's there's a great number of possibilities in these idea of reframing these issues complete, in completely different ways. Yes. But but and you can mention net neutrality in that process, mm. but but always as well. Here's the net neutrality theory, <laughs> you know, is yes. one way of looking at it. Here's another way of looking at it that I think makes a little more sense. <laughs> yeah, a theme that has come through these Stone Ape recordings, which has been subtle, but I've in re-listening to them heard periodically, is this notion of how you gather together in squish people. That you can mm. work with. Mm. I haven't figured that out yet. But you see, I'm thinking. I've got. I'm thinking of floating a conscious in the cloud, which is just let's show up, share a mic, and talk about some problems. Because what we've done with speakers yeah. so far hasn't really solicited the kind of discussion and the kind yeah. of ideas that I've been looking for. And there have been some interesting folk that have turned up. I almost think that the iOS app launch of Noble 8 might be a good opportunity to uh, to talk to people and have an exploration around this. But I'm not really sure about that just yet. I'm, I'm thinking, I don't understand how that... Because it gives you something I to talk. Those are two separate... Well, here's, yeah. so the thing is called Conscious in the Cloud. And what I was originally trying to use it for, because I was originally, and this is still a goal, thinking of putting Noble Ape into cloud computing, i.e. distributing it, having vastly distributed Noble Ape communities and have them communicate where you could access it through an iPad or something like that and actually interact well, with that's, the Well, that's Ape a doable system. thing. It's, yeah. Yeah. Well, that's a doable thing. So right? in framing this whole collection, part of it has been to bring together the necessary thinkers to answer some of these questions, but also provide, um, you know, maybe ideas for the stuff that they're framing as well. Yeah, yeah, and collaboration. Exactly. Wouldn't that be nice? It must. <laughs> yes, it'd be wonderful. But to have something to actually point to and say, well, this is what I've been working on for, you know, a period of time, mainly a show-and-tell component, which really goes back to the old Graytham meetings that used to have a show-and-tell component as well. But with that, you can kind of, you know, generate a variety of different ideas that can be talked about, questions, you know, frame a commentary which might lead towards something slightly more productive than the kind of talk series as it has been to date. 
from this discussion as well, there's been the notion of the dinner party. And if I look back at my childhood, and you've actually talked about this as well. I mean, it may not have been formalised dinner party. But the things that I remember associated with adults gathering together was typically associated with food. They'd arrive originally, they'd have kind of drinks and nibbles, then there would be a meal, then there would be more talking, and then they would leave. And this is a, yeah. something that basically framed <laughs> my childhood. Your standard dinner party. Exactly. <laughs> you know. And we have never done anything like that. We've never had friends. One of the experiences which I didn't talk about when I went to WWDC was I actually went to one of my co-workers' houses, one of my co-workers who lives in San Francisco or his, his apartment or whatever you call it. And that was actually really very moving because I have never through, well, aside from Australia, where we used to just drink at various people's co-workers' houses. <laughs> Go to their house and get drunk. Exactly. There was there was never, and in, in the UK, I never went to any of the my co-workers' houses. And in the US, actually, that's interesting, because in Las Vegas, for my first job, we did go to people's houses periodically. and that was Well, the people who had houses good enough to feel like they could invite certainly, people over yeah, to. Yeah, certainly. Yeah, certainly not the squalor <laughs> that we lived in. Um, and actually, when that company yeah, did dissolve... Yeah, not living in squalor. Yeah, <laughs> when that company did dissolve, you know, people came to our house that we recently acquired before the company dissolved. So, yeah, but I, I guess I long for a kind of adult interaction that has not in any way been part of my adult life so far. I mean, through the Conscious and the Cloud series, we do kind of go out to a meal following sometimes, which tends to yeah. be quite nice. But this whole it's notion rare of- to have a good conversation mm. with somebody who's actually, who can keep up their end because they've been at it for a while. Jesus. I mean, the scary thing is, I guess I've reached or tried to reach out to intellectuals in order to try to find this. And through my frustration, I've cut down my Facebook group substantially yeah. because I, through the interactions I've had, I've never really felt. Well, what? people who have got a gig that they're doing, mm. you know, that they're making a living at are not interested in exploring new ideas. Mm. Mm. They're interested in manuf, I mean, depend, many of them, not all of them, obviously, but, but many of them are really pretty focused on maximizing their ability to make money with their little niche. Yeah. And if you don't have something to contribute to that, they're not interested. Yes. And moreover, outside of their little niche, there's very little to them, which I find... Well, it depends on what, you know, yeah, yeah whatever, yeah, depends on the situation. There are probably, I, I think that's a perfectly reasonable thing to do. If you got something, some little thing going that works, that actually benefits some percentage of people, fine. You know, if that works and, and you're happy doing what you're doing and you're making a good living at it, then uh, I don't know. I, I guess that's okay. But I don't know. I've always felt a responsibility. And this, again, goes back to the instigatory nature of talking about war and in, in polite company. But I've always felt a responsibility to not be defined by what I do in my day job or these kind of things. I mean, the ability, the great freedom that one has, which I guess to a certain, a lesser extent I had through my childhood. I mean, the, the nature of, you know, the economics of my childhood didn't allow for a lot of these things. But, you know, now as an adult, which is what you can talk about happiness, potentially, you have the freedom. Freedom, although historically you have had the freedom to do this as well, to venture into whatever intellectual turf you want to wander into and explore accordingly. The internet makes well, it even even, even the idea of yeah. question. That's the thing is that well, again, it seems like a trance that that most people 
have this story, mm. and, 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 and that is just unquestionable. Mm. That is the bedrock from which they evaluate everything else. Yes. And that goes completely unquestioned. And in fact, that's precisely what needs to be thrown away. Yes. I mean, not thrown away. It's just put it in proper perspective. It's one story. Yes. You know, it's not a bad story. It's just one possible story. There are some others that are quite interesting. Yeah. Yes. And it seems, I mean, again, it just seems to me, it seems so simple that really that's what needs to be applied in the Middle East. I mean, everywhere, mm. everywhere there is strife, that is a solution for it. If it, it see, I mean, am I crazy? Am I just nuts to say that that's probably the only solution to it? Well, the thing that interests me is associated with not necessarily control is the wrong term here. Influence is probably the wrong term as well. But areas in which we can enact change. And we've discussed this historically, I mean, within, you know, our past two conversations associated with the city of San Jose, the police department of San Jose, you know, (laughs) these kind of entities that enacting change, I am slowly, I think apparently according to HSBC, after seven weeks of fighting, (laughs) HSBC will close my bank account and send me a check associated with the last amount of money. How nice of them. Ah. Anyway, enough about that. But my point is that the ability to enact change, even within one's own environment, is so heavily inhibited that it is very difficult as individuals. All we can really do is, as I like to say now, assume the missionary position and just (laughs) try to eulogize what we do sufficiently that others might... You know. I'm not sure I understand that because that uh, strikes me as a very strange characterization of the situation. It's hard for me to imagine what you're actually talking about. I'm saying that in order to enact change, all we can start with is our own environment surrounding ourselves with the hope that others might choose to do the same thing. Whether well, we do this with yeah. voice, you know, strange noise voice movements, yeah, or yeah, a variety of I, things. Yeah, or just, I yeah. find it almost impossible to fathom, perhaps through, um, you know, political and economic poverty, that I could enact any meaningful change broader than myself and perhaps very well, you, close you never know what you can get involved in. I mean, yes. you, you know, you never know. I mean, some of all the people involved in the American Revolution, one of them was George Washington. Mm. Okay. There are a whole lot of people whose names we don't know, mm. you know, and you don't know. Nobody knows, but the thing is to be involved, to be part of creating a new world. Yes. And to know that that's what you're doing. Yes. However, one can do this in a kind of broad visionary way, which I have no truck with. The the nuts and bolts practicality of getting people involved and, you know, the community building aspect. Well, how you do this is is, is a completely separate issue. I mean, that's this setting a goal is one thing. Now, how you're going to do it, how you're going to analyze the situation and, uh, and, and what actions you think you can take that might make a difference. And all re- of that remains to be seen. Theme, a reoccurring <laughs> theme throughout discussion tonight is that even with the best of intentions, getting others to engage in a way that enacts change on a larger scale is very problematic with the well, current language Well, it's about people machines. waking up. No, it, yeah, it's not going to happen with the kinds of thinking that goes on in most language monkeys today. It's not going to happen. The fundamental, their fundamental sort of basic baseline analysis of the world 
it's got to change. Mm. If that doesn't change, it's, I don't think anything is going to, anything is going to change. I mean, maybe it will, I, I, but I, I'm hopeful. I mean, I don't think it's not that big a deal, really. Mm. <laughs> you know, it sounds sort of, I and mean, it is a little scary, you know, but, but really it, it gets pretty normal pretty soon, you know, and you still have to, you know, take a shit and eat dinner and stuff. Yeah. So, yeah, it's interesting actually, because both my spiritual advisor and I have talked about what moving to this house has meant to us psychologically. Yeah. And things like theft. Uh, we talked about the local prostitution, <laughs> just the general degradation around us. I mean, we live in well, an area yeah. where basically the people that have lived here for generations or are renting to folks are not paying the same taxes that we are paying. The yeah. way California works for folks who are listening in who may not understand is that year after year, the voters who funnily enough have lived in the place for longer than the rest of us enact a law which means that only the new folk when they buy to, houses yeah, pay higher tax. rates yeah, exactly. right, yeah and because no one actually has moved out of this or they've just rented out their properties through three generations <laughs> there's been no net income brought into the area that i live aside from me and three other folks who bought houses along so the you've street. got no sway with the city at all the police don't even i mean it's as <laughs> they our don't even give a shit yeah. exactly it is our That's responsibility right. to yeah. police the well, area well, what do you expect? Yeah. <laughs> well, see, you're, you're, you're learning. You're beginning to get it. Exactly. But the sadness <laughs> through this is d we obviously need to enact some change in the time that we are here. But well, what, the question is, how, what is the time you're going to be there? Well, that is the question more than anything. <laughs> I mean, yeah. structurally, in these kind of things, we need to fix this place. We need to put in better yeah. electric. If, listen, if you can get out of there about equal, yeah. then you, you would, it might be a good move. Or yes. not. You know, who knows? Yeah. But I guess it's the nature of the kind of grating elements over time, which need not be there. They are put in purely through neglect of others. Oh, yeah, yeah. It doesn't really make any difference. Yeah. If it's there, you got to deal with it. Exactly. And it, it's not anything I want to deal with. It's not worth it. Yes. You know, suck it. Yeah. I don't care why. Yes. <laughs> you know? I, mean, so I don't want some asshole putting shit in my trash can and throwing it on the ground and running off. <laughs> Fuck that. You loved that video, didn't you, Heron? That was yeah. everything that you were against. <laughs> well, yeah, it's just complete. That's being an asshole. Yeah. <laughs> we spend $187 every other month for garbage collection. <laughs> so, so it's like 109 almost, well, I'll say 100 bucks a month. Just under. Just for shy people to take your shit away from you. Yeah. yeah. The funny and this thing guy is, comes over and throws his shit in your pile. Yeah. The funny thing is, actually... <laughs> Do you know who this guy is? My wife's seen him about. I'm, I yeah. went to actually... I actually waited out there last night with the hope that he'd come back, because this yeah. only happened a week ago. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It is interesting, actually, the whole, like, relationship with the neighborhood associated with people preying on, you know, these kind of things. The video camera hasn't really paid for itself as yet, but we caught that. We also caught the recycle truck emptying our recycling on the ground. We kind of wondered what was occurring. Apparently the recycle truck was just full by the time it got to our place. So it emptied it upside down and all the cans and 
bottles and what have you fell out. But interestingly enough, actually, there's a group of homeless people that come round and collect and our recycling right, anyway. Put, that's right, and put them in bags yeah. and put them back in the system again. Yeah, and take it off and actually make money through it. Yeah. It's kind yeah. of curious. I mean, if they... Oh, it's if, such a beautiful system. If we could farm out our entire cl- trash collection to the homeless, we'd pay them the 187 bucks every other month. They could make good money out of that. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. It's about being organized. Yeah, it is. It is very much so. And actually, See, I think- that's the thing is if we as a, as a, as a species got smart, mm. that's why they, we really wouldn't need to work more than maybe a month, a year, maybe mm. less, you know, at doing something that actually needs to be done to give us all this wonderful standard of living. Yeah. You know, I mean, we could create paradise on this planet. Yeah. Really? Yeah. <sighs> Damn. Yeah. <laughs> now, I've actually had a few conversations with the homeless folk that come and take the... And the original claim, my spiritual advisor said to me, I oh, one of the homeless guys has left that stuff out. And I went back to the video evidence. No, it was some kid. You know, yeah. it wasn't the homeless guys. They're very careful. They actually take it out. They put it back. Like, you know, they do the whole thing in a very organized fashion because they want to keep doing it. They don't want anyone kind of fucking up their, uh, you know, their circumstances. But I do agree with you, Heron. I mean, I'm fully of the belief... That there should be a way for people just to survive comfortably. I just don't see any... I mean, in this country, this country is probably the most barbaric in the Western world uh, associated yeah. with that. Actually. Every human being should have their own space. Yeah. Maybe 20 feet by 10 feet yeah. or whatever. Some minimal space that is secure and that is theirs yeah. to get out of the weather. And f- enough food to survive and information. They need, yeah. a, they need a, a monitor and a computer. Yeah. Uh, the rest is up to them. Yeah. Yes. Well, if you lived in Sweden or a variety of other countries, you'd... I mean, the, the interesting thing is, I had this conversation with a co-worker, I may have recited this in a prior stone ape, healthcare, the ability for people who are mentally ill to get their medication so they can go to work and earn a living and these kind of things, you eliminate healthcare and immediately your homeless population is oh, yeah. what it is in yeah. the US. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And which brings the police into yeah, it. Exactly. It just brings the yeah. whole f- the court but system. and. The, but all these yeah. people make money through this process. It's yeah. interesting that yeah. you've taken money yeah. which previously would go to the population and you've just <laughs> injected it into the, the private prison system. <laughs> yeah. The prison system. Yeah, it's astonishing. Oh, it's, it's just totally insane. You know, we, we need... It's it's up to us. To, we're, we're here to create a new world. Yes. I, and we don't know what the fuck we're doing. Yes. <laughs> yeah, but maybe that's the beauty of it. Maybe. Aaron, I have not invested in any form of cooling device for this room. I thought I'm just in a thin oh, t-shirt I- and wa- drinking plenty of water here. But yeah, this environment I'm going to have to get... The problem is you have a fan. I need to get a fan that won't blow on anything and just circulate air around. But even that I think might be problematic. Well, then you have to get a different kind of mic set up. Then. No, I think the issue is actually... Oh, you're right. It's associated with how the, with how the air moves through. I think I had this problem actually when we lived in an apartment that there were shorter notes through the summer months. Summer is waning here slowly. What, I mean, forward. is my fan really disturbing it you? It does. I have to edit it out, but that's not the point. The point is that my yeah. current circumstance in terms of just general heat and discomfort yeah. has kind of gotten to a point where I, I probably should conclude this evening's recording. Yeah. 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 Uh, uh, yeah. I wouldn't even consider doing a Kickstarter. I think I just need to invest seriously in uh, some co- cooling device. I record most of the model rail radios now in the morning which works out very well for these kind of problems but you know pretty soon it'll be coolish here and these recordings will be able to return to pretty soon form. well this is going to be hot through october so get ready for it yes yes 
Yes. El Nino. Yeah, we haven't and, even seen the heat yet, yes. I don't think. Well, I've actually, my tomatoes, my, my spiritual advisor started preserving the tomatoes, and I've planted a variety of different forms of peas mm. to catch the tail end of summer. And they're doing remarkably well, so I'll be dining on peas probably by October quite comfortably. You know, I uh, I grew peas once, mm. and it was the most disappointing experience I've ever had in my life. It's low threshold. That's the thing. You've got to grow a lot of peas to well, get... Well, well, it's not so much that. It's just that there are different kinds of peas, and I got the wrong kind of peas. <laughs> uh, there are peas that are for canning, yeah. and then there are frozen peas. Yeah. And they taste quite different. There's a there's a very and different they're also taste. Fresh, yes. No, there are, well, and then there are fresh yes. peas. Yes, yeah. and of course you can buy them fresh. But what I'm getting at is that for all of my life I'd had frozen peas, mm. and and I didn't realize that that's actually the not the not the same pea that they use for canning peas. Yes. <laughs> the canning so, peas are a are different variety. Yes. Of, they taste just like they taste. I figured they tasted that way because they were in a can no. or something. No, that's the way they taste. Yes. So I bought these these peas thinking, oh, man, and then they're really going to be fresh, <laughs> not even going to be frozen. Yeah. And they tasted just like canned peas. Yeah. <laughs> I was so fucking disappointed. Oh, well, <laughs> Life goes on. Oh, it was terrible. Oh. Yes. Oh. Well, I will conclude this evening with that wonderful story, and uh, I will talk to you, hopefully, although I've been particularly bad recently, in about a week's time. Okay. Talk to you soon, Harry. Take okay. care. Good night. See ya.